everyone, welcome to Shalanda Says, where we answer questions on all sorts of topics ranging from relationships to career growth. Join us as we answer listener questions and interview various experts in their field. Want a question answered? Send it to Shalanda at TuxWilderGuidance.com. That's Shalanda at TuxWilderGuidance.com. Now here's your hostess and proclaimed queen of time management and goal setting, Shalanda. Today we have Ron Carucci, who is the best-selling author of eight books and a popular contributor at Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and he's also a two-time TEDx speaker. Ron is an expert on a number of topics, including the journey from startup to scale-up of a young business, leading massive transformation in more mature organizations, advice on rising through an organization from middle management to executive leadership and more. Ron led a 10-year longitudinal study on executive transition to find out why more than 50% of leaders fail within their first 18 months of appointment and uncovering the four differentiating capabilities that set successful leaders apart. Those findings, those findings are highlighted in his groundbreaking Amazon number one book, Rising to Power, which he co-authored with Eric Hansen. How are you today, Ron? Shalanda, great to be with you. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, great. And I thank you for your time today. And I would like to jump into our first five. These are five questions that all our experts are asked. First question is, what drew you to this career? You know, I think um, my love of organization, I think since I was a little kid, I had a fascination with organization at human endeavor um, and how people come together to accomplish things they can't accomplish on their own. And, um, how, you know, how how spectacular it is to watch people cooperate well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I've always loved that in a variety of forms. And I've spent my last 30 years doing that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So tell us. A little, I know you already touched on this a little bit in your first answer, but what impact do you hope to make? I think I hope to help people uh, working in organizations to achieve the aspirations they set out to achieve Mm -hmm. in ways that they maybe are struggling to do. It's not uncommon for organizations to get themselves sideways, uh, you know, from from their aspirations Mm -hmm. or stuck in a ditch or you know, fragmented in ways that cause them to have unwanted conflict. And so helping them design themselves for, you know, the journeys they dreamed of, of going on to achieve the aspirations they hope for. That's, mm-hmm. I guess it's a privilege I get to do every day. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be able to be in a field and do work that, we've been wanting to do since we were children. It's nice to have that freedom. Yeah, it's a privilege for sure. Mm -hmm. Now think about everything you know regarding this path that you have chosen. In retrospect, what would you do differently, if anything? Well, I I think one of the things I would do is I would have paid more attention to uh, how this field has changed and evolved so dramatically in the 30 years I've been doing it. Yeah. Um, especially in the last five or 10 years, there are, you know, when I began my career being an organizational psychologist, 
being an expert in leadership was something that a few people did, but it wasn't commonly understood as important and valuable. But these days, the proliferation of coaches and consultants doing this work is by the droves. There are mm-hmm. literally tens of thousands of people doing this work. And so setting yourself apart from them, helping people understand what you do that they don't and or why they would pick you over them is important. And I, and I think probably I took for granted, you know, I was so busy doing the work, I forgot to think about how the work was changing. Mm-hmm. So I think in hindsight, I would have paid more attention to that. Okay, yeah. And you know, going back to you knowing that you wanted to work with organizations as a child, I knew that I wanted to work with people in having happy relationships. And I learned about organizational psychology when I was finishing up my schooling as a marriage and family therapist or in marriage and family therapy. And I actually fell in love with organizational psychology. And I said, oh man, I'm just finishing up this degree, but I want to learn more about organizational psychology. And another thing I noticed too is that people's happiness with their career and their personal happiness, all that coincided. Do you see that with people you're working with? Oh, for sure. I think there there are more and more people wanting to enter the helping profession, wanting to enter the the world of making a difference, Mm -hmm. you know, in a world of lots of automation and robotics, people having to find careers and meaning and purpose in ways that, you know, keep our humanity. So I think there's lots of folks entering the space, I think there's lots of folks entering the space who aren't qualified to be here and who shouldn't be giving advice to anybody. And so it scares me to see, you know, how little people think it requires to give others advice. That's a concern to me. Right. Yes. But I think that getting the education behind you is very important because there are certain things that come with the education that you don't necessarily get trying to jump into a career like this well you don't uh and but even even there you all the you know there's hundreds of certifications out there you can go online and mm-hmm. you know download it from jc pennies if you you know <laughs> and call yourself certified and the reality is that there there is deep psychological clinical knowledge required to give people advice mm-hmm. um you have to understand human behavior and how it changes you have to understand the dynamics of what happens when people work in groups and right. numbers of groups coming together. You have you know, mm-hmm. organizations like families are systems and they operate like systems. Yes. And if you're going to do the work to understand that, you shouldn't be tinkering around with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you tell me what trends that you see, what trends you see in your specialty? Well, I think that one of the great trends is that people are leaders especially are open more and more to having help they recognize that whether it's help for their own behavior or help for their organization's um uh future that getting expertise um is isn't a bad thing at at the same time they're also becoming more and more knowledgeable the notion of leadership and change there's a, a lot of content out there that can be consumed and so leaders are developing themselves more efficiently and they don't need the kinds of basic help they used to have to get you know 10 15 20 years ago that means we have to be you know staying a step ahead of them 
keeping our eye on the horizon around what what's happening to shape leadership. Why are people naturally distrustful of leadership? Mm-hmm. How do you garner their credibility and respect of those you have to lead when they're let, you know, they're predisposed to not trust you or, or presume that you're out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you help leaders understand how organizations work and how they, how the, how the choices they make have much further implications than they understand. Yeah. So they know how to make I think there's a lot of things that people are wanting to learn, the connection between neuroscience and behavior um, and decision-making is a, an unfolding one. And I think, uh, you know, the, what leaders require for help is changing very rapidly. Mm. Okay. Now, what advice would you like to offer listeners? Um, you know, I think... Uh, your voice matters. So in whatever field you're working in, whatever way you're wanting to make a difference and have influence, don't believe the tapes in your head that say your voice doesn't matter. Nobody wants to see what you have to say or because of where you're from or who you are or what you do that your voice is less significant. You believe that the world needs the ideas you have and find a way to bring them. Mm, Yes. Now I want to get into something I read uh well you actually mentioned it earlier about about setting yourself apart there's so many people that want to be in change management and organizational change how do you set yourself apart um you know uh so partly I've spent a lot of time you know, I write for HBR, I write for Forbes, I speak a lot. You know, part of what I've tried to do is to build a following around my firm, Navalence Ideas, and to get people to recognize that our ideas can help them. So they, they can recognize the problems they're trying to solve or the opportunities they're trying to seize in the work we, we publish. So certainly by sharing our ideas widely, that's been a, a huge um part of how we've tried to differentiate how we talk about our work is important. Um, and we've got, you know, a very long track record of success. So helping people see that mm-hmm. the challenges they're facing while they may be new to them, they're not new to us and to build their confidence that we probably can help them if they talk to us. Mm-hmm. And I read that I, I went on your website and I was reading about what you do for organizations because I do come across a lot of organizational psychologists. And so I was interested in seeing what type of methods that you use. And I saw that you, it said on your website, we believe change must happen on three domains simultaneously. Can you uh, explain that to us? Yeah. I, you know, I think any uh, of us who have ever been around organizations have certainly seen at least one, if not many more, attempts to change fail. Right. Our, our belief is that it's usually one of these three uh, or, or two or all three of them that are the culprits behind those failures. And the unfortunate part about change, what makes it difficult is that you can do some of these very, very well, mm-hmm. but you can still leave one or t- to chance and have, have it, have your change fail. So the, we are language for these three domains is within and between and among. 
So change within means change the leader's psyche within their own operative narrative, within you know, their own biases and belief systems between how they see themselves and how they operate in the world and the need for change at very deep places within that leader for them to be able to credibly lead change for others. Change between is change relationally, change between individuals, change between functions, the relationship between sales and marketing, the relationship between the field and headquarters, the, ch- the relationship between um, you know, two divisions where value is actually credited for organizations. Uh, often those relationships can get sideways or become contentious and we have to create change where you can create cohesion and integration. And then there's change among. The, this is change systemically, change culturally, change strategically, change in governance, change in technology. These are the things that across, across the entire organization. And so often people who try and conceive change pull one of those levers very hard. They'll pull the individual change behavior lever or they'll pull the team building lever or they'll pull the do new values lever. Um, and they may do it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. But leaving the others to chance means that change won't happen. It's no different in your world in family systems where mm-hmm. you take somebody who's suffering with addiction out of the family system, mm-hmm. put them in a place where you can repair them. But if you put them back into a broken system, they're going to regress. Right. So you have to change on all three levels, mm-hmm. uh, individually and systemically, if you want change to stick. Okay. Now, what type of advice would you give? Because I'm a career coach, but I, I still work with people on other personal issues because I coach the whole person. And some people come to me and they don't really know what they want to do or how to even map their career. Now, what advice would you give someone who wants to work their way or rise in their organization from middle management to leadership positions? Um, You know, so first of all, be sure you want it. (laughs) Not, not everybody's meant to rise up and be a leader. Mm. Um, So be very clear on your aspirations. So many people uh, when I, when I, when they bring their career to me um, are very unclear with what they want or they, they want the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they want fame and fortune, they want power, they want influence, they want you know, to make more money, but they're not clear on what impact they have, and they're not, they're not clear, clear on what they're good at. So we, we, we prepared a generation very poorly mm-hmm. in the, of the last 10 years by telling people to just pursue their passions, right. which is a terrible <laughs> advice. You have to be pursue something you're passionate about that you're also good at. Yes. Um, So I think it's also important to remember that careers are journeys. They're not destinations, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like a, you're going to do the same thing now to your dead. I spend so much time talking to millennials and I'm raising two of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't realize that, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have six different careers between now and the time you retire and three Mm -hmm. of them don't even exist yet. Mm -hmm. So just worry about the, now you can't be so short term minded that you only think about this month. Right. You know, think in three to four blocks, and think about what do you want to be true five years from now? What do you want to be true 10 years from now? You know, if you're in your mid thirties or early forties, these are your building years, right? This is, this is now to the finish line. And so you may be plotting two or three moves to get to the place where you want to be. But if it's only about how do I get that next job or promotion? Or how do I nail this interview? Or how do I make sure my resume is up to date? You're probably missing the point about what it means to plan for a career. 
And so be thinking about a career campaign. Be thinking about how you build a reputation for the kinds of things you want to be good at and why people would choose you or hire you. Um, also be mindful that you're, you're hiring your next doing someone to lead you and you should choose wisely. You know, all interviewing processes are two way street. And if you only go in selling yourself yeah. and not recruiting for a good boss, you may be sorry with what you end up with. Hmm. That's great insight. Now, speaking of working your way up through leadership, can you talk to us about your book, Rising to Power? Yeah, so it was born of some pain. You know, we've known for 20 years that uh, leaders in organizations who are, who are aspiring to, you know, grow and lead at bigger perches have been failing, you know, within their first year and a half for a long time. And we've not done much about it. And for us, it was personal when somebody we worked with was fired, who had been seen with great potential and as a promising rising star and who everybody thought was going to be wonderfully successful. And, you know, nine months into his assignment, he was let go and it was devastating. And so we went back into sort of investigate to see if we could find out what could have gone wrong and how we could have so badly misjudged his potential only to find out that he was just one more statistic that it, it, you know, that what happened to him is not at all uncommon. You know, somebody with otherwise very promising talent and potential, you know, uh, stepping in all the landmines that organizations put in the way of rising leaders. And so our book, we, we, we wanted to uncover all those landmines and we wanted to understand what were the, what were those that were sticking the landing doing to succeed? And so rising to power is, you know, a, a codification of the journey rising up of what, what you're going to face on the way up and what it takes to get there and succeed. Okay, excellent. Can you give us a couple of pointers or a couple of tips on what it would take for someone to get there and succeed? Yeah, so one of the things we learned about was context. So the importance of understanding and reading context around you, not just coming in and slapping on your answers. And it's so interesting, Shlanda, you, you see this as a career coach all the time. You know, we're still using the most unreliable devices we can to make good selection choices, the interview and the resume. Right. Um, and, we, when, when, and this is a great important for people who are interviewing to know that you're being set up to fail. When, when a recruiter or a hiring manager says to you, wow, look at these great apps you've built. That's what we need. Or, oh my goodness, you've had such great success leading sales forces. That's what we need. Or, my gosh, look at this supply chain you've turned around. That's exactly what the problem we're having is. Mm-hmm. In that language, we are sowing the seeds of failure mm-hmm. to promising careers. Because what we're saying to those people is, you have a formula. You have a recipe. And we want that recipe here. And so we're giving them this mythical mandate to come here and repeat their past successes without any sense of context. And we've seen it all the time. We see the leader enter. They start slapping on their answers. The organization resists. They slap harder. Um, then they start saying things like, well, oh, my gosh, you didn't tell me it was this bad. Or, wow, how have you people been made any money at all? Right. And then our diagnosis becomes an indictment. Mm. And our halo becomes a noose. And people just back away from us. Um, rather than coming in and asking, what's going well? How do I have to adapt? How, do, how does my past experience fit here and where doesn't it fit here? And learning to contextualize what you learn. The, the most successful leaders were very contextually intelligent. They, wanted, they asked how things worked. They were curious about what, not just judgmental. And they recognized that they had as much to adapt in themselves as they had to change in the environment around them. 
So context, very important part of succeeding. Yeah, okay. Would you like to add anything else before I do our quote of the week? No, that's great, Shalanda. That's great. Okay, excellent. Now, this quote comes from Dennis Kimbrell, author Dennis Kimbrell, and he says that success is knowing that one other human being has breathed a little easier because you lived. Mm. Great quote. Yeah. Okay. Now, before I close, can you tell us how to contact you? Yeah. So I'd love to have your listeners keep keep in touch. You can come visit us at Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We've got uh, a free ebook for you on leading change. So if you want to learn more about Within, Between, and Among, we have a, a book on leading transformation. You can come to navalent.com slash transformation. We've got a free quarterly magazine on all kinds of issues of relationships and leadership and teams and organizations. You can get in your inbox for free once a quarter. Um, we've got videos and white papers and all kinds of resources. So come visit us and it's a great place to hang out and learn. I'm at Twitter at, at Ron Carucci and on LinkedIn as well. So do stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. Well, I do want to thank you for your time today and you enjoy the rest of your day. Chandra, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shalanda Says. Remember to send your questions to shalanda at tookswaterguidance.com shalanda at tookswaterguidance.com to have them answered by myself and an expert guest. And don't forget to subscribe and share. And as always, have a productive day.